Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. We're back with another episode of Wild and Exposed. Today we have a guest from Great Falls, Montana, slash, what, Kodiak, Alaska. Yeah, Kodiak, yeah. His name is Scott Stone. Jason is very familiar with Scott. They did a trip together this past summer. I have known about Scott for a long time, and Ron has too. We've just never met up in person, but we shoot a lot of the same things, so we thought it'd be cool to get you on the podcast and just talk about whatever. I mean, there's so many things to talk about. We had a 10-minute conversation before the podcast started, and... It was all good podcast content. We decided we'd better stop and just get you on and start talking. So, welcome. Thank you, guys. Like I say, it's been uh, been long overdue for all of us to get together, but uh, really enjoyed having Jason up this summer and, and got to meet our friend Kelly, too. And I've been going to meet Ron for a couple of years, and it just never worked out. We start every podcast. Well, we don't. We, we try to ask this one question. I thought it'd be good to just ask you right out of the gate. What experience have you had out in the woods or out in the wild whether it's with photography or just being out there uh is one of those things that just sticks in your mind and it just keeps you going back what was that one thing that's happened so far and you're bound to have more in the future but up to this date what is that one thing that just keeps you out there boy that's a that's that's a hard one um you know i've i've been super blessed between between my bear view guiding um that i've got lucky enough to do and do a lot um I think, I think the big thing for me, um, you know, photography wise, um, once it clicks, right, we've all been there, right. We can make fun of everybody shooting auto all we want, but, um, you know, if I have a new client that just bought a camera, I'm going to tell them to shoot auto all day long. If they're not comfortable shooting manual to make sure that they get the memory. But once you start to really expand your photography and you own the light, then I think it just you know, becomes an addiction, right? I mean, we don't want to use that word, but I think that's what it is, right? I think to me, the big thing that keeps me going back, um, I'm lucky enough that I had a, I had a father who took me out from the time I was, you know, old enough to have a memory. And our hunting trips were more about watching critters than they were about killing them. And, you know, I'm a licensed taxidermist in Montana. I still love to do that. But the older I get, all of my money goes towards my camera, not not hunting trips. And I'd much rather watch critters be critters and be free than than hunt. And that's what it boils down to to me is all that time spent as a kid. It just it's just something that's been ingrained in me. But if you had to point to one experience, I mean, between being charged by a, a sow grizzly up here in Augusta, Montana, May eleventh, twenty eleven, you remember those days? That was neat because we were actually on a black bear hunt and shadowed this bear, not intentionally, up a ridge. And we tried to get up above her to let the wind kick her out. And it, we basically ran into the exact same spot at the exact same time. She only did what she was going to do naturally. But that was a really cool experience for me in that, number one, she brought the mail. She came right at us full bore. But it also gave me a front and center shot to look at you know everything all wrapped up in one in the, in in the wild world and realize that all she wanted to do was just let us know that we were maybe pushing the boundaries once once you go through an experience like that when you have an animal like that that can easily kill you not it 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 definitely you know it 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 sucks you back i mean even though it rattles the hell out of you the first thing you think about is you know, you almost want to go back and see if that situation will play out the same. And luckily for me, with my experiences in, in Alaska, uh, especially bear view guiding and just being out in Kodiak all the time in the streams, I think the thing that keeps me going back is knowing that if you approach wildlife the right way, they're they're not going to do anything. They They just want, you know, they want their space. Give that to them. They're going to let us mingle, if you will, let them, let us observe. And, and it just keeps, keeps you going back every time. You know, what can I see the next time? I tell people that all the time with, uh, I use the example of rattlesnakes. I said, the last thing a rattlesnake wants to do is use its venom on you 
I mean, it's only going to do it if you've surprised them or stepped on them or something like that. If The last thing they want to do is waste their energy biting you. Yep. They'd much rather use that on some sort of prey or something for them to survive. So that's a great, great example. That's a great story. I mean, it's a great thing to keep you going back, and I, I think I have a lot of the same sentiments. How about you, Jason? You know, it's funny. We've talked before. The ones that come to mind for me, I've never been charged by a grizzly bear. I have been charged by a couple different black bears, uh, young bears, um, bluff charges, obviously. Um, but it's a little nerve-wracking because you don't know if it's a bluff charge until they stop, you know. So, um, but you know, they're they're just they're just they're using the methods they know to communicate to you, right? Um, and the same thing with the elk. I've had many many elk encounters that uh, you know had a couple that have gotten you know close calls is what i'd call them and uh you know we like to think that the more experience we get as we're out there chasing these critters around with our cameras that we we i think we get a little bit um what's the word i'm looking for cocky complacent um complacent yes right and so i think that happens from time to time and we like to pretend like we really know what the elk are saying we we can predict their behavior and in a lot of cases we can i mean that's definitely i've seen that but there's also times when you think everything's fine and it just goes south you know and not in a, not in a bad bad way but you know like the situation changes instantly and what you thought was going to happen doesn't happen and then you end up in a situation where you know you may not want to be in so anyways yeah i think it's a uh, that's what keeps you going back when those experiences happen is kind of nerve-wracking as scary as they are. It gets the adrenaline going, and you know, for, for all of us guys that are adrenaline junkies, you know, it, <laughs> you kind of look forward to those experiences. And just when they happen, you're glad that they don't go they don't go wrong too far, you know. <laughs> so, Scott, what took you to Alaska in the first place? In the off season, I run um, I run federal construction projects. I run like Air Force or Coast Guard um, federal construction projects. And that's what got me to Kodiak is uh, the company I work for um, started to bid more in Alaska. They're based in Alaska, but I was running some missile stuff down here in Montana and um, we ran out of, ran out of work. And uh, my boss had, had said, Hey, if we get a chance to get a job in Kodiak or Ketchikan, would you go? And I said, absolutely. And so December of 2015 was my first trip up and that job was supposed to be nine months and it turned into me being there basically seven to eight months out of every year now. <laughs> the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, exactly. Right. And then as far as bear viewing goes, I'm like everybody else that was in Kodiak, right? So that first summer 2016 and and then into 17, you have Kodiaks right in your backyard in a normal year with a normal fish run, right? I mean, from the end of June through middle October, there's going to be Kodiaks fishing all over right next to next to town and in Woman's Bay there. And I had people saying, man, you really need, if there's anybody we've ever met that needs to go to Katmai, it's you. And I'm like, why would I pay money to go to Katmai, right? And finally in 2017, I went on a bear view and then I became a junkie. And then I went on a lot of bear views. And by the end of 2018, um, I got transferred up by uh, Denali to run a job up there, but I had came back to visit Kodiak a couple times and go to Katmai and, uh, the former owner, uh, Dean Andrew of Andrews Airway, um, said, why don't you just do this? He said, you're super passionate about it. And he said, instead of paying, paying, paying us an, uh, a steep amount of money to go do this, he said, why don't you just come work for us? And then, uh, the following summer, I, I started to guide for Andrews, um, in July, and did through uh, September 20th. And then um, with COVID in in uh, 20, you know, I mean, that affected all of us. And we didn't think we'd even get a chance to go to the park. In all honesty, I thought that Katmai may, may be shut down. And the fact that they, they didn't, and we were able to go, um, we got to go on 22 um, we guided 22 trips over to, you know, Hallow Bay and, and Geographic and Kanak and went to Brooks. Um, and again, Brooks was a really cool experience in 20 because there was almost no one there, right? And then this year was technically my first full season. So have you ever, what's it like, do a comparison between May and September as far, just for people just to get a good idea of what it's like in May and what you're going after all the way, and then go to September. 
You you bet. Um, you know, as as the as the season goes, um, when we fly over those those first couple of trips in early May, there's still like this year there was a lot more snow in Katmai than there has been. But you're still going to have bears actually where you can see bears digging out of the dens and really start to see tracks coming down from the you know upper elevation starting to come down towards Halibane. It's just starting to green up. So we go to like Kukak or or uh, Hollow early. You might have some clamming bears before the grass really starts to green up. And then right about that 25th to 28th of May is when breeding season really starts to fire. And the breeding season and the and the grass really starts to grow at Hallow Bay, and that coincides, and that's why it holds so many bears. I mean, it can be well over 100 in the basin, you know, for over a six-week period, right up in through um, almost the, the, the 4th of July. So early season, you know, some characteristics that people might want to know, right, from a guiding standpoint, I'm always looking 270 degrees. So I'm looking in front of me and kind of off to the sides. I have to feel where my clients are at all times. But the bears are, you know, they're learning us. But again, right, they've never been hunted. So they're still going to let you approach. It's just different. And then when, by the time we get in two weeks, about June 10th or so, they're really accustomed to us, really lax. And, you know, the park rules where you can only approach to 50 if a 50 yards. If a bear feeds past you, that's on the bear, right? Most cat my bears are going to walk up and walk past you within 15 feet or so to check you out and then just move about their day. And that even holds true early season. By the time we get to the end of June, though, the grass has started to grow high enough to where sows will bring their koi down. And everybody wants to see the babies, and that's the best time. Is that late June through about the 20th of July? There's primarily more sows and cubs at Hollow. The boars start to move off after breeding season's over and go look for fish. The transition then, in a normal year, most of the bears are going to leave Hollow Bay right around the you know right around the 25th of July to 1st August, and then they're going to be up and down the coast. Some actually will go back and forth to Brooks, but a lot of them will see southerly, anywhere from Kaflia all the way down to Katmai Bay. You can see bears easy at Hollow. Once the fish come in they literally don't care we're there whatsoever at hollow it's different you approach them when they're grazing and there's lots of other guides and groups and everybody behaves and the bears know that so i always tell people it's like a checkerboard if you fly over and you look down there's all these bears dotted all over like cows we call them the cat my cows but as long as the groups respect each other and the bears nobody has any issues because the bears know what to expect we know what to expect that type of thing right um we always say it we're not a threat to their food source from the time we get there till mid-september they know we're not a threat in any way um you know the the things you look at throughout history there's not a recorded attack on of a grizzly bear on humans in a group of three or more most of the groups you're going to see at hollow bay or anywhere up and down the coast are going to be five six eight that type of thing right i know between the different companies, that's probably the biggest thing that's a, I don't want to say it's a concern of mine, but the biggest consideration I think of for the season is we aren't just guides, we're not just photographers. We need to be responsible ecotourism managers, and that's the biggest thing, right? Our impact has to be kept as low as we can. I mean, we can throw out names all day long, right? Brad Josephs and Drew Hamilton and um, you've got some really good guides also at, at Emerald, um, out of Homer. And the big thing we try to do is work together as a group. We text each other, you know, we'll call each other before the season, but we do keep everybody apprised, right? If there was an issue with a bear, which in my six years, there hasn't been. But we do, we keep track of weather. We, you know, we, we keep tabs on each other and make sure if somebody needs something that that's going to be taken care of. But from a client perspective, if you want to see breeding you want to be there in you know early june you're going to see the big boars chasing the sows and it's pretty cool to watch moms and babies the sows with the koi are going to come down the end of june that month of july is when you want to be there and then when we move into fishing bears in katmai you know truly about the 25th of july we'll start to maybe look at geo connect maybe maybe even possibly you know kukak a little bit but once the fish really start running, it's as simple as sitting on the bank and just sitting there like a tree. 
as long as you leave a bear a six or an eight foot swath in front of you between you and the water those bears are going to pass right in front of you they they know we don't want their fish so there's the two seasons pretty much you know grazing and fishing it just depends on what experience people want to get if you want both you know right at the end of july is probably the best time to come i've worked for island air service now out of kodiak uh, so we have day trips and i also do lead camping trips as i go personally forward i'm going to lead a lot more three to four to five day camping trips in remote spots and and uh kind of fall off on the just day trips only it's been a blast i love the heck out of it flying every day is definitely uh uh it takes its toll and the weather's a the weather's a tough one so um i'm i'm gonna shift to doing more of the three and four day specialized trips for more serious photographers talk a little bit more about that your the specialized trips uh, i know we talked about it while we were up there some but and and i know we've talked about it. we've had other guests on the show that have talked about the different methods and different ways to approach bear viewing and it's been a learning experience for me because I mean, like again for me this last summer when i was ever there with you was my first my first go with it my first experience um but maybe talk a little bit more about the specialized um longer camping type trips and what the benefit is of that and how you go about approaching that most of the standard day trips out of Kodiak, you have to think about this, even like the ones out of Anchorage or Homer, they were designed around cruise ships and flight times, right? And the, and the, and the, you need to get the clients back by two o'clock because that's when the ship leaves. So that, that four and a half or five hour bear view, that's kind of where that started in the late eighties is that, that, that standard time frame. And then the last couple of years I've offered full days, um, and of course, in Katmai, we have to plan accordingly, right? I mean, we can't legally fly before eight. We're going to try and stay as late as we can. So you have to have people that are going to be mentally, you know, mentally ready for the whole day. If the weather's good, it's pretty relaxed and chill. But you're only going to get, if you do standard, two and a half, three hours on the ground, a full day, you're going to get anywhere from, you know, weather permitting eight to nine and a half. What I want to do is give people more bang for their buck. You're already spending, you know, you're already spending twenty five hundred to three thousand bucks for some people just to get up to Alaska, let alone go on any of these trips. What I want to do, and what we did last year for for one of our clients, is go to a three or four day uh, camping trip where your price per person might only be twice as much as a full day. So instead of nine hundred and fifty or or eleven hundred bucks in some cases for some companies, say a person is really seriously wanting to get some time with the bears, instead of getting one day where you're gonna get eight hours of shooting or nine hours of shooting, if we stay there, you're talking about eighteen to twenty hours of light. You know, we can leave camp at five in the morning and stay out till one. We did that in June. And all of the benefits, though, when you talk about, is it worth the extra money? Here, here would be my reasonings. Number one, better light. All of the day trips, you're leaving, you know, sun sunrise was three hours ago, and you're going to leave, you're going to leave three hours before sunset. So you're going to get, you might get some soft light pictures, but you're not going to get the home run shots that we all want, right? And none of us are going to sky replace and 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 go to that length if we're going to take. 4,500 bear images over the course of three or four days. So say say that day trip cost you 950 or 1,000 bucks. We'll just use it that way and you go twice. That's 2,000 bucks for two days. If our four-day camp trips are 2,700 or 3,500 bucks, whatever it shakes out to, you're on the ground that entire time. Your shooting window now goes to 20 hours a day, 18 hours a day. and you're going to get sunrise, sunset. And the other thing that I could tell everybody all day long is the one thing that the bears do as soon as the sun starts to go down is they come alive. If you, if you want an experience, you need to be there fading evening light when everybody starts to wake up. It's one of the most incredible things you can see. You know, bears, we all know, right, that anything over 57, 58 degrees, a brown bear is going to go lay by the river and, 
and soak up some cool breeze and want to stay cool. And that's the one advantage you have if you go on those camp trips. You're right there. You don't have to fly. You know what? Even if you have a bad weather day, so you sit in the tent. We had to do that a, a couple times. On the one we did was a four-day trip. We only got to shoot two days, but we also got to shoot almost 30 hours in two days. You know, I mean, we saw we saw almost 130 bears and got to shoot that long. You know, I mean, it, it, that's the advantage. Um, and if it's a once-in-a-lifetime thing, it totally makes sense. If it's a, you know, and I'm open to doing anything. If it's a group and we can split costs, we can break it down uh, somewhere around two to twenty five hundred a person. Um, it just it just it just matters what a person wants. If a group wants to go, we'll tailor it to what that group wants. The other good thing about it with the camping stuff is you're going out and starting your shooting when the all the day trippers are leaving. You know, every, all these planes are taking off, and you're just going out to shoot, so you have it to yourself absolutely by the time and that's you know that brings up another good point so for people that aren't familiar with katmai you know brooks obviously is the more famous one and and we all we all want the mangelson shot on the falls and the only way to get that is to go to brooks we all know that brooks has over 400 people a day and in some cases over five for guys like us that want to do our own thing and be more remote you're going to want to go on the on the south coast and of course you know, like I say, I mean, I, I respect the hell out of all the guides that are there because we're all there because we love it. And everybody wants to make sure we do it and leave as little impact as we can. That being said, one of the great things about Katmai, if you go about it right with the rules, between permits, there's certain sizes where you don't need permits, where groups can go camp, right? If you're six or less, and that's debatable. That's something that you need to email the park service about, but they'll work with you on. But these remote ones, like you're talking about the day trippers, right? I I always want to be supportive of everybody that spends the dollars to go see the bears. We're blessed in that we get to experience wildlife every day. A lot of the people that come up, if they saw a bear from the airplane, they'd be perfectly happy, right? One of the things that we, like we were talking about earlier, maybe not maybe not complacent, but one of the things that I guess I, I take for granted is that there are people that just seeing a bear is going to be life-changing, let alone us landing and being able to walk up and walk with them. So, you know, that's, that's, that's a big thing. But those day trips, like you said, when they, when they turn and fly back to Homer at two in the afternoon, the basin's pretty open. Or there's days where some of the boat-based tours, you know, it works both ways. They might have rough seas, and might not be able to get their clients on shore where we can fly and land. The advantage if you're camping is it doesn't matter what the weather does. You're there. You're on the ground, and you're going to deal with what you get. For every person that tells me, man, what do you do if you get socked in? And you, do? Well, we all have rain gear, right? And if we want to take some epic shot of a grizzly shaking in a rainstorm, it's got to be raining, right? So... It's all in context. I think if you take the best rain gear in the world and you plan accordingly with all the cameras that we've got now, I mean, we're all pretty much in the same boat. It doesn't matter what we shoot. You know, we took on one of our trips, I took 14 batteries and we only used three, right? You, know, you want to think of all those things. Gear's huge, but that's where I come in, right? I mean, before anybody comes up client-wise, going to go through everything that I can possibly think of to help people you know, weight weight is an issue as far as how much we can fly with and those type of things. But from start to finish, we would tailor everything to each group. Do you have like a, have you created or thought about creating like a, a checklist that you can give to your clients um, as far as like what kind of stuff they need to bring and especially more catered on the day trips? That's one thing. A lot of stuff's provided in a lot of ways. Um, you don't need to have all your own gear necessarily. You need to have your camera, maybe some rain gear. And other than that, you can be provided with boots and things like that. Um, but for a camping trip, I would assume it'd be a little bit different. You'd want to be a little bit more prepared. You mentioned batteries. You know, I, I have a friend that went up and spent two weeks up in, in the back country in Denali. And he ended up, <laughs> he bought out the local camera shop's battery supply 
I think I think you end up going with like 16 batteries or something like that, just because you know you just don't. If you run out of juice, you don't have any way to charge it. You know you're done shooting, and he didn't want to have that happen. So, anyways, and he bought lots of memory cards, and you know, but maybe people won't think of those kinds of things, right? So, do you have a checklist that you provide for folks? I do have that spreadsheet that I would share with uh, prospective clients. But the one thing that I am going to do, I'm working on a link and then I am going to do a YouTube video um, that basically tells people what they can expect for each different one, right? Um, I'm going to do a separate one for standard views. Whether they go with us or go with a different company, um, I want people to go experience Katmai and and make sure they do it the right way. There's a lot of really good companies um, that that really put their best foot forward. I mean, I, I, I can name every one of, I, I don't even call them competition because they're just, you know, there are other, other businesses out of Kodiak and, and the Homer guys. I mean, everybody wants to give everybody the best experience they can. If I take and make a eight minute or so video on a standard view and a 20 minute video on a, all day view slash camping trip to where people can actually sit down and say, all right, yeah, I know it's going to cost me between 2,500 and 4,000 bucks, but I'm going to get truly the absolute max experience of a lifetime. And you know, the things, the things that I I'll make people are aware of and, and you were there, you got to see it firsthand. Michael knows all about it too. The things that have to be in there as an option, right? Um, people are going to have to be aware of, you know, if there's a medical medical emergency, there's obviously cost involved with the plane. I have my reach. I can get a helicopter there, right? And it doesn't cost anybody anything. But they need to think big picture and plan ahead too. You know I mean? I don't want people to go and say, oh gosh, it's going to cost exactly this much and not plan ahead. But we all know that, right? I always tell everybody when you come to Alaska, you can do right. it reasonable, but you also need to, you also need to keep your keep your head about you but that's the two I'm, I'm i'm thinking the youtube links plus um plus an actual camping list that shows them exactly what they get because one of the things that people would want to know that are that are seriously considering doing this whether the the four of us went up or it's four other people um if they go with us the entire camp is already included so there's no there is no, hey, I need to bring a tent and a sleeping bag and all of that stuff. I take care of all of that. That's all there. So we're going to fly out and camp set up. That's the whole idea, right? So right. nobody's going to have to fly in and pack all their own stuff other than their camera gear and their duffel bag. You know, and that's and that's that's part of what we want to offer. I, I don't want people to get there and, you know, have to set up bear fence and set up tents and be worried about that. When I fly somebody out there to shoot, we're going to shoot. Yeah, I like that. I'm 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 not personally aware of of that as an option at this point. That I'm that and you know I don't know maybe I just haven't looked hard enough. But a, a trip like that really intrigues me um, for all the reasons you already mentioned. You know, not to beat a dead horse, but you know it's a to me that's really the best way to experience it and. Uh, you know, make it long enough to, like you mentioned, weather days, weather's just real. It's, it's a real issue and it's the way it is up there, man. And, you know, you can fly some days, you can others. Like you said, if you're on the ground, you don't have to worry about it. You may not get to shoot as much on those weather, on those weather days, but you can also get some really cool content on those weather days. If you're willing to get out and get a little wet. Those camping trips, I want to make sure everybody knows and, and understands. It's not only going to be in the staple areas where we go. Just because Hollow and Geo and Kanak are the familiar ones, if somebody wants to go see more solitary bears that don't see people, we'll we'll take we'll take you wherever you want to go. You know, we can time fish fish runs to get to get red fish. We can and that can be in Katmai, it can be in Kodiak. One of the most overlooked photographic opportunities maybe on on the whole North American plate is south southwestern Kodiak in August, late July. You can get red spawn reds 
with Kodiak's fishing for them, right? In the Iaculic, you're talking about a river that's less than 40 feet wide and a foot deep, right? It's going to have pockets that are deeper than that, and it's going to hold fish. But you're going to have red spawn fish that are fishing in a zigzag river that you can work the light all day long. It doesn't matter what the light's doing because that river just winds like a snake all the way through the basin. So you could really put and position yourself to where you could use the light all day long. And there's caribou down there. So, you know, you've got caribou and blacktail and, and the Iaculic is definitely something that's on my list to try and get some people down to because there aren't a lot of pictures of Kodiak with red spawn fish. Um, we've, we do get some, you know, late run silvers in Kodiak, um, towards the, you know, early part of November, right up to almost like December 5th, you can still watch a bear, you know, comb in the river and, and Kodiak and you'll get lucky enough to see him with a big, you know, 16 to 20 pound red spawn silver. So that's an option, but that Iaculic is definitely a, a, an option I like because it's not something a lot of people are are willing to do the beauty of these fly out camp trips is you know you, you eat the cost of the flights that's the bulk of the trip for everybody once you right. get there right i mean you've already you've already you've already paid the money to get there now just go shoot well i think the key to all that too is is you don't want to be packing your own camping gear because this is a whole different ball game it's a whole different ball of wax you're not going to go to yosemite and set up a of one season or two season tent or you need a four season tent and when you go to scott you're going to get that quality camping you know because the work you do get hold up in a storm you don't want your tent given up in that whole conditions and he's going to provide that sort of uh the the equipment that you need i like to do as much business as i can locally with the kodiak folks and uh dan and kim at kodiak camps i'll tell you what i'll plug those guys all day long they're they're amazing people to work with, and when you rent from them, number one is it it's it's crazy reasonable, just just crazy, right? But all of the stuff that they rent just piggybacks to what you said. It's all stuff that's going to stand up in the weather. Dan and Kim have you know thirty plus years of experience renting some of the best gear you can think of, and they know what works. They know what doesn't work. One of the things I've learned in Kodiak, maybe maybe the most important thing I've ever learned about bears from anybody. Do you know what they send with you to clean your camp? Simple green. Why would they send simple green? So it's eco-friendly? Well, not only is it eco-friendly, but check this out. It burns the hell out of a bear's nose. They don't like it. <laughs> So not only, yeah, not not only do you have your bear fence, but if you clean your raft, if you clean your tent, if you spray a little trail of simple green around your bear fence, they don't want anything to do with it. The tents are four season. They're going to stand up and everything Kodiak can throw at them. I've, I've been in a couple different scenarios where most tents would have not made it. And those guys did just amazingly. Um, but not just the tents, too. I mean, everything is included, right? Bear fences. For the people that are wondering about those items, you know, the bear fence, the tents, table and chairs, the whole nine yards, it's all going to be there for you. You're going to be up on a cot. So you're not sleeping on the ground. Um, and it's it's all heavy, heavy-duty stuff. It definitely lets you uh, focus on your photography you know you're not the only other thing that i would add and i haven't talked to you about this scott but when i've done those kinds of trips oftentimes we would hire a, a, a cook too and i'm sure you can provide that sort of thing yeah ab- absolutely i mean if we need to and it all it all depends on what people want right i know i know a bunch of guys like us are going to be like hey you know what let's bring the jet boil and keep it simple and and keep weight low and if if you did granola bars and and enough mountain houses to get you through four days, the big thing to me is water, right? And we all can use life straws and filters or whatever we want, but if the plane's flying in and you're not going to be more than you know a quarter mile from camp, if you can take water, that water weight adds up, but it's also the best weight you can have. Right. Yeah. And I guess on the trips where we had to cook, we would do 10, 12 days. And it's just nice when you're 
so that was going to lead to another point that I was going to make. You want to go with a guy like Scott that'll, you know, he's talking about doing 18, 20 hour days in the field. There's a lot of people that won't do that. They'll be like, mm, yeah, I know your pictures are going to be great, but I've just spent 12 hours out here and my day ends at 12 hours. You go with someone like Scott that appreciates photography, knows photography, knows what the light means or knows what those nasty conditions mean. That's money in the bank, right? He, he's not going to shy away from, uh, you know, it's raining really hard right now. I don't want to go. I that's when you want to go. If you want something different, and in today's yeah. world, we all know you have to have something that is completely different to stand out. That's how you're going to get it. There's times where if it's hot, I'm going to take my clients. If we're only a half mile from the from the camp, either we're going to sit down and just hang out for a couple hours and chill out with the bears, or we might go back to camp. Because if it's 65 degrees and sunny and no wind, those bears are going to lay by the river and not do a damn thing. Nobody wants, you can only take so many pictures of sleeping bears <laughs> by the river. <laughs> and believe it or not, that happens a lot. And I've been in Katmai when it's been a hundred degrees. So it can get hot out there, Yeah, you know, and it's miserable. Yeah. Two of the hottest days of my life were in Hallow Bay and it was almost 90. It was, it was horrible. Yeah. <laughs> so we've done a lot on the experience. We've done a lot on the camping, that sort of thing. Let's talk a little bit of gear and what you recommend people bring. We were before the podcast, like I said, we were talking about, we had a 10 minute conversation and Jason threw out the fact that he's thinking about another prime lens, which I was like, what? <laughs> Um, maybe we can talk a little bit about that and then uh, about what you're thinking about, Jason, but also kind of what you would recommend people bring or what the best setup is with today's cameras. What is the What would you want to see people bring to get the awesome images? You know, whether it doesn't matter what brand you're shooting. If you're shooting Canon, Nikon, Sony, Olympus, it really doesn't matter. Um, 70 to 200, 70 to 300. Um most people I'd tell to bring a 24 just because, um, if they want some landscape stuff. Um, but staple lenses, 70 to 200, 70 to three, a 600 or a 500 for early season grazing bears. But for fishing bears, to me, a 400, 28 and a 70 to 200 or a 70 to 300 money in the bank all day. Like we were just talking um, you know, part of, part of what you try to offer, obviously, I mean, I'm like all of us, right? You're constantly comparing gear. Who's got the best, the best of the best every year. It's always going to leapfrog, but we're in an age right now where it doesn't matter what you shoot. The, the, the options that we've got, number one, we've got low light. We've got low light ability right now that we've dreamt of for 20 years and it's all in our hands now. Right. Um, whether it's whether it's uh, a one four converter with your seventy to two and a and a or a seventy to three, no matter what you're shooting, I know you've got two to fives. There's guys that are gonna stay with that two to four hundred cannons. Just the money, it's too heavy from what my experience when I when I've shot with one. Um, everything we do, I'm gonna be weight conscious of. So even like for me. I've got my R5, I've got a 70 to 200, I've got a 800 RF, I've got my 600, and I've got three other lenses from 15 mil up. And I don't want to pack them all. I might only pack my 24, my 70 to 2, and my 800 one day. But if I know we're going to go for four or five days, I'm definitely taking my 600. But that's where I would concentrate on, you know, make sure you've got a body that's got that you know, all of them with the AI focus now. Um, if it's fishing bears, I definitely say, yes, you want to make sure you're shooting max shutter. Um, if they're grazing bears, unless they're in a fight situation, I don't know that you need to be blazing 30 or 40 frames a second. Um, fishing bears, whether it's squirting eggs out or they're going to get in a fight, that extra shutter is probably what you want. But yeah, back back to the bare bones, 70 to 2, 70 to 3, a 400 to 8, or a 5 to 600, and you've got it made. You know, and and obviously we're all um, super dedicated and we're blessed enough that we've got some outstanding gear. 
if I had somebody coming up that had a Tamron G2 150-6 and a 70-2 and was still shooting a SLR, they're going to they're gonna walk away with some damn good stuff, you know. Um, again, we're blessed. You know, you want the most light you can get. Um, one of the things we want to is we also want to be conscious of you know, space from the bears, a, a two to 400 mil range for fishing bears is right where you want to be. I mean, it really is. Um, if you want that shot at Brooks Falls of those fish jumping in the, the bear's mouth on the ledge, carry the biggest thing you got, you know, you're only going to get your half hour. So you better, better make it. Count. Or just don't go take that shot. Cause everybody's got it. So forget about that. Let's go do something. Or else. Just don't go take that shot. I agree. Yeah. Don't spend the money. Don't spend the money to go to Brooks. I hate to say that. I, I love, I love the park, but if, if, if there's a bunch of serious photographers out there listening to us, take that money that you're going to spend at Brooks and spend it somewhere else on the, on the coast. On So Jason, what I think before, since I alluded to it earlier, maybe you ought to, just throw out what were you talking about before the podcast <laughs> well i've got this little dilemma where i've decided i'm gonna purchase another prime lens which is just yeah, it's killing me right now right it's <laughs> yeah i need to get a new computer too and so yeah this has been a really expensive year for me um <laughs> <laughs> but hopefully i can just get through this and then i i should be good but um anyways no the logic there is really i just feel like the 400 that 28 that F4 versus 2.8, there's a difference. I mean, as much as I'd like to pretend like there's not when I'm shooting my 600 F4, you know, I, man, there's just a difference. And I think it's enough of a difference that it allows you to get some more flexibility in your shooting, um, you know, at lower light. And um, it also gives you a, a nice range, in my opinion, where some of the other, the other animals that we photograph – um, sheep, for example, sheep are very accepting and can be very, um, you can be very close to sheep on their terms. Um, they're very accepting once they get used to you. You know, some of the elk situations I've been in, um, you know, I use my zoom lens a lot, but sometimes 600 is just too much. And, you know, a 400 prime would be a, a great option in some of those scenarios and some of those situations. Um, you know, shooting animals where you're a little closer range, you still get that um, really good bokeh from a prime and you can also carry a 1.4 or a 2.0 um, everything I hear is the it's the 1.4 on the Canon the 400 takes a 1.4 really well and what's really odd to me is that I heard is the 400 maybe not or the 400 doesn't take the 2.0 so well but the 600 takes the 2.0 really well um, sorry for maybe those that don't understand the 2, 2.0 extender um, you know, the 600 shoots it really, really well from what I understand. Um, I generally try to avoid shooting extenders uh, if I can avoid it, but I will. And I did shoot it on my Prime, the 600 this year. And, you know, it has its place and it's worth having in your bag for sure. Um, and for that 400, you know, you go from 1, 1 or 2.8 to F4 at, what is it, 560 or something like that. So it's a, it's a nice combination it's something that I feel like I, I just got to have in my bag, right? So <laughs> I'm I'm going to try to see if I can't make that happen. But but as everybody knows, everybody listening to the show, you know, a real quick plug for Mike at Precision. Um, you know, he, he sent me a note and said, hey, you got any listeners that might be interested in getting grabbing a 1 to 500? Um, they're really hard to get, and I've got three of them right now. And um, I sent out a little note, and for, you know, folks that listen to the podcast and friends of the show – um, you know, they got to see that because they follow us and they, they got to see that those were available and three friends of the show were able to pick up those one to 500 lenses. So thanks to Mike again for giving us the, the, the inside scoop on that and letting us, you know, get that out to the folks here that listen to the show and, you know, another benefit of listening and, and, and supporting precision camera. So Mike, thanks for that. But, um, but any, my point of that whole thing was, any of those lenses right now, the one to 500, the 600 prime, the 400 prime, they're all very, very hard to get right now. So with the whole supply chain issues, you know, we're not, I'm not hearing of any of those lenses being available, 
you know, until, you know, late November, early December time frame is kind of what I'm hearing. So, uh, yeah, hopefully I get one in my hands before then. So, Scott, so is Jason going to be able to, with your weight restrictions, is Jason going to be able to take his one to five, his 400 to eight, and his 604, <laughs> and his R5, and his R3, is that what they call it? <laughs> and let's say 10 batteries. <laughs> And does he get like one granola bar? Is that it? <laughs> it's the diet yes. plan. <laughs> one, one granola bar for ten days. Um, so you bring, yeah. So you bring up a you bring up a really good point. So part of what we're what we're working through, right? I'm obviously working with with the owner and and Kodiak, and and he's super on board with with you know expanding into the camping trips more and more. One of the things that we have to look at is, you know, Island Air's got a full fleet of floats um, and getting gear to and from camp so that we don't, you know, have these horrible restrictions on weight. Um, A lot like a hunt, we might do it where, you know, you take five clients out in the Beaver, but you might fly camp out in a 206 so that camp's already there and maybe if you know if i go out the night ahead i go out set up camp and everything take all the extra gear and everybody flies out the next morning that's something we're, we're looking at and talking about and the other thing the other thing that we got like i say is there's lots of whether it's flying back and forth to fishing lodges or fishing camps or just just um you know commuter service there's a lot of times where there's a free seat or two on on these planes where they need they need something to make weight, and if they were to shuttle gear, even if it's a little little expense, in the in the broad scheme of things, it would balance out on whatever the cost of the trip comes out to. Um, but we will do everything we can to make it to where a person could count on about 55 to 65 pounds. Um, and that's away from food or water or any of that. So, you know, a lot of times I try and talk people in on our day trips. If you can get it to 40, 45, you know, we're going to be tight in the plane. If we don't have that issue and you can bring 75 pounds of gear, you know, let's face it. If everybody's got a, you know, if we're, if we're shooting off of a, a get and you've got a 600 and a 400, and like you're saying, you may throw it all up there, you know, it adds up in a hurry. Right. Adds up in a hurry. Well, you know, Mike, just so, real quick too. The reason, the one of the reasons I'm really wanting to do the 400. The other thing I didn't mention is that it is smaller. It's a little easier to pack, um, and and it would be something on a trip like that. I think I would actually leave my four my 600 home, and I would take the 400, the 70 to 200, and I would take the one four, so I could get the reach if I needed it. If that makes sense. But yeah, that totally makes sense. And I guess the other thing that I've done on trips too is if you have someone like Scott that you're working with and by listening to this podcast, you all know, he knows what he's doing. He knows what he's talking about. If you have special conditions or special situations, just call him up and he'll figure it out. You can say, you know, I couldn't do a trip like that with those weight restrictions, shooting video. It's just not going to happen. So what I end up doing is I call up and I say, okay, we're obviously going to need another plane. What's what can we do to keep the cost as low as possible? Maybe we do a 185 or we find a something, you know, a 206 on floats. It's going to be a little bit less. You're going to pay for another plane, but you're going to get all your gear there. And what's most important for me, it's getting the footage and I need to have the right gear to do it. So just know that you can call Scott up and just say, look, here's the situation. And in the whole scheme of things, if you're there for four or five or 10 days, that you spread that out across the days and it's not that. It's a, it's money. Of course, it's going to cost you, but it's not going to kill you. Right. No, exactly. Well, and you, you brought up a good point when you when you keep mentioning like the 10-day. I'm throwing out that, that four-day, right? We're trying to do something where it's a, a moderate time frame where we feel like we can really give people, you know, an outstanding experience and weather permitting get you, you know, at a minimum, I'd hope we could get you four 10-hour days, you know. Um but hope for 16, you know, um, you brought it up where there's going to be clientele that doesn't want to shoot all day. If there's people that 
you know, want breakfast and don't care that they leave the tent till nine and only want to shoot a certain percentage of time, that's fine. We'll cater to that. But I'm not against um, the trip we did this past June um, was solo. Um, I took one, one guy and, and it was, it was amazing. You know, um, I can tell you that the bears treat you different when you're under, under sizes of four or three, right? When you're under gun. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. They, they, uh, they like their numbers better, I guess. But, um, you know, for the people out there listening, um, you know, the last 10 years, even before I was guiding, I mean, I've, I've literally given every spare minute I have to studying bears, whether it's black bears or grizzly bears in Montana or spirit bears or polar bears, even though COVID messed up that whole thing my last two years for me. But when it comes to Katmai and Kodiak, I throw my entire soul at it, man. I, I, um, I spend more time thinking about and studying bears and bear photography than anybody you're going to meet. And at the end of the day, I want the same thing that every other guide and every other, every other tour operator in Alaska wants. Um, I want to make sure whoever goes, goes on a trip with us, walks back with an experience of a lifetime and get to, you know, get the chance to be in a bear's window and actually see what, what they're like in a world where they're not hunted. And, um, you know, cat mice, how, what a special place, how blessed are we? Yeah. And I can throw out a little plug too. So anybody that's out there, if you do go and you end up not feeling so great, Scott's a really good caregiver too. <laughs> hey now, <laughs> you might you might want to elaborate on that. <laughs> now I already mentioned it on the show, but again, I can't thank you enough yeah. for how well you took yeah. care of me, man. So, oh man, that's to be in the middle of nowhere and come down with COVID. Right. What do you do? Yep. I mean, what yep. do you do? Yeah. Hey, uh, so real quick, um, can we shift gears? Are we good with the yeah. bear subject? Because yeah. I think we've covered it in depth, and I, 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 yeah, we'll be talking more for sure. Um, but I wanted to know a little bit more. I don't even think we talked about this when we were up there, but what got you into photography to begin with? I mean, where did your passion for photography even begin? When I was, you know, probably 20, 21, right after I got married, we got a camera like everybody else and you find out you know this is 1994 and you find out that wow if you want to get into photography it's going to cost you 30 grand to get anything to shoot back (laughs) then right um so like a lot of people you find out that you have gear limitations and you have gear envy and you're like well i really can't produce what i want so i let it go by the wayside and collect dust right and Fast forward to about 2014, um, I was running a missile silo job in Montana and we were going every night after work, we'd go a hundred to 200 miles looking at every critter there was. And you start to go, man, I really wish I had some way to document this. Right. And you take a few iPhone photos and videos, but when I got to Kodiak in, in 15 and 16, that, that, sect of local photographers there and and man they're all they're all really great people same thing they want everybody to see the bears and kodiak they're proud of them you know and rightfully so um i would watch bears all through the summer and that group of local photographers had every piece of gear known to man from you know a t6i up to the newest nikon and, and sony and canon and that really spurred me. Um, I was in Kodiak for, you know, most of the summer of 16 and you just, you sit there going, man, I've got a, I've got to either video all this or do something so that your loved ones back home can see it. And then I think it's just either in your personality or not. Once, once you start, either you're driven or you're not. And, you know, something that would be interesting for a lot of people um, that may not may not know me is I almost quit. Um, I'm super competitive at everything I do, like a lot of us. And I basically gave myself a timeline. So February of 17 um, is when I bought a a 72 and a 
uh, 70 to 200 and 100 to 400. And I only gave myself two months. And if I couldn't be shooting where I wanted to be shooting in two months, I was going <laughs> to hang it up. Right. We all know how I wouldn't be here right now. Goes, that right? Was the <laughs> so yeah, no. Right. So honest, honestly, um, in, in the first part of May of 2017, I kind of had like a, a come to Jesus or a bridge to cross, if you will. Um, where I kind of put it down. Um, I was frustrated. I wasn't, I wasn't shooting how I wanted to shoot. And self-taught YouTuber, I'll admit it. Um, but like everything, right? I mean, unless you fail, you're not going to learn anything. So the more you struggle, the more you learn. And by the end of 2017, um, things really started to click for me and I look at like all of us, right? I mean, you look at your work when you first started, um, I by no means am where I want to be. I have a lot of things I want to do different that are going to require camping trips where I'm not <laughs> a guide. Um, I would shoot different. I would shoot different if I'm not worried about my clients. Right. So, um, that that's that's a, a big thing to me obviously i want to make sure that my clients are always always getting what they want but photography wise that's where it really started back you know that summer in kodiak is 16 and then you get better gear and you really start to like it and yeah um right now i'm shooting shooting an r5 um i've got the 800 rf i've got a 600 f4 um 70 to 203 with the converter still and like everybody else on the list i'm waiting for a 100 to 500 and i don't know if i'm gonna buy a new 70 to 200 rf i'd be curious if anybody um on the podcast has one the reason is that 70 to 200 series 3 is a solid barrel where the new one's telescoping right. so you know yeah, so I don't know. You know, I'm still that old school, dumb as a rock guy where a solid piece of pipe that's sealed <laughs> is probably a good thing, right? Yeah, I'll tell you the new one's a cute little thing. <laughs> <laughs> right? But, you know, at the end of the day, weight weight is everything right. for us. We all know that. Um, you know, just gear alone, I've got 49 pounds in my pack right now, and that's not guiding. When I'm guiding, I'm packing about 50 54 to 60 depending on the day and that gets old after a summer keeps you in shape i'm not, buddy. I'm not a kid anymore guys <laughs> oh i know right yeah uh, you have the 70 to 200 2.8 right rf i do right, jason i do yeah yep and you were talking about the 70 to 200 f4 no me no 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 scott yeah is that the one you're wanting to know about no i've got it i've got I've got the I've got the series oh, okay. three two eight. One the, of my buddies, yeah. Ray, I've talked about him on the podcast. He's actually been on the podcast. He has the seventy two hundred F four, and it is a cute little thing, and it's pretty awesome. It's pretty sharp, and it is that telescoping. But I don't think it matters. I think it's for weight wise. I mean, right, right, yeah, be pretty cool, be pretty awesome to have. Yeah, I like it a yeah, lot. Exactly. It's really. It work. It's re works really well with my cotton carrier. No, just as far as it's not very big when it's when it's closed up, you can lock it so it's not you know zooming out on you unintentionally. Um, it's a it's yeah it's it's lightweight. You hardly even know it's there. Um, yeah, and the telescoping thing doesn't seem to be a big deal. I mean, I think a lot of people felt that same way with the one to five hundred. You know, the Sony two to six is internal, um, and and it's interesting when the one to five hundred's closed up. It's quite a bit smaller, and I think there's some advantages to that, right? And that's probably why they did that instead of going with the external, um, you know, with that where the tube design with the all internal zoom. Um, but yeah, you could. You know, there's benefits both ways. Is this does a two to six hundred more waterproof, weatherproof? I don't know, you know. But. There's got to be something to it because the two to six Sony right. is not one of their G series lenses, right? No. But the one to five <laughs> Canon or the one to four Sony is a G series, and the one to five is an L series. So there must be some sort of technical thing where they can't put that Pro series like 
uh, identifier on that two to six. Right. I don't know. You would think Canon would have done it if they could. Right. 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 And keep the L series to it. So. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. I don't know. We all love our gear. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just so much. Yeah. yeah. Going back to what you said, Jason, and what you've talked about, Scott, is you could go out there with pretty much three lenses and be set. And I think you do want two bodies, right? You just do want to have that Absolutely. safety. You could leave a body back in camp. You don't have to take it out with you. But it would be nice to have just that backup yep. just in case something drops or something falls or whatever. Yeah. Highly You're spending that much money to go on a trip. You yep. want to make sure that yep. you can make it happen, right? Well, and, and we didn't talk about this earlier, but – and I think it, – well, it's kind of alluded to, I guess. But if you go and try to do one of these trips on your own, you can go rent gear and stuff too. But a lot of times people will go and buy, you know, the cot, the heavy-duty tent, the all that stuff, and then they'll line up and get a plane to fly them in. You save all that money and don't have to spend it on your own camping gear by doing something like you go with Scott or if you do it even on your own. We have some friends that have done it that way. Um, but my the point is, is take that extra money, to my to Mike's point, and, you you know, invest that in an extra body or the gear, the extra batteries or whatever else you need to be able to make sure that you – you know, you have everything you need on a trip because you don't want you don't want to lose your body or something. Have a water get in it and it fries it or something. Things can go wrong out there for sure. And if you don't have any way to shoot, you know, your your hose unless one of your friends is nice enough to let you borrow one of their extra bodies or something. But <laughs> well, and I think the thing yep. to your point, Jason, yep. was I live up here. I could go do those single trips all all the time by myself. And I don't because I don't I don't think I'd be as productive. And the people I think you're referring to earlier that we know would go out and do it themselves, I think they're getting awesome stuff now, right? Absolutely. But it's taken them several years of doing it to kind of figure it out. Right. Where yep. if you go with somebody that knows what they're doing, you're going to start yep. right out the gate just having that all dialed in. And you don't have to have that learning curve yep. and spend two or three years doing it. Yep. Although two or three years of doing it is a blast. Sure. So if you're that kind of person and you want to have the adventure, do it. Right. But if you're wanting to be productive right out of the gate, yep. go with Scott. Right. And if you don't plan on going like every year, every other year, to your point, Mike, you know, then and having the adventure, then and you want to be productive, then yes, absolutely. Just get with Scott, give him a call, you know, line up something like that with him and, you know, you make the most out of a trip. So Scott, if if people do want to set up something or if they need to talk with you, how wh- how do they do that? Do they go to you on your website or do they go to the air? They they come direct to me. Um, if you if you message me through Instagram or on my Facebook photography page, that's the, the two easiest ways. The other one, and I I I'm I try to check it as much as I can, but if if you email me, it's pretty easy. It's just scottstonephoto at gmail those three ways that's the easiest way and then once we talk message wise for a bit if somebody wants to call me i am willing to talk to anybody i've if it's an hour or a three hour phone call or whatever it is i don't care if they're from they could be from sweden or australia or japan or wherever i'll do everything i can to make to make it happen for them the other thing that i i really try to do for everybody I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm going to tell you what to expect. And you're going to be walking through rivers and there's going to be times where you're going to have to be mentally tough, not, not, not just physical. There's going to be times where, you know, if the weather's kicking your ass, guess what? We're out there. I'm not calling to get us back. You know, if it's a day trip, I can do that. But if we're camping, we're here, we're here. Yeah. Put, Put your seatbelt on. Right. Yeah, exactly. Well, and, and something else to consider, I and I'm glad. I'm sorry, no, Mike. No, I know you got your no. thought. Um, but on on a camping trip, I would assume, right, you've got to have some flexibility on the front and the back end because weather could keep you from getting to camp when you intended, and weather could keep you from getting yeah. out of camp when you intended. So, if you're thinking, if you're planning something like that, you got to be thinking that way too. So, the only thing I was going to say was if you are considering a trip let's say you're thinking eight to ten days you better call scott right now you know because yeah. i yeah there's yeah. coveted days yeah. that for certain places depending on certain situations <laughs> that you want to nail down that calendar sooner yeah. than later 
So biz, just keep that in mind too. <laughs> yeah. If if you want a specific time frame and a specific amount of days, do it now. If you can be flexible and you want, you don't care if it's sedge bears or if it's mating bears or if it's fishing bears, then I think he's probably going to have a lot of flexibility. But if you want something very specific, don't sit around and wait till the last minute because you're not going to get it. You might get it in 2023 or 2024, but for 2022, do it now. Right. Thanks for the reminder. I'll call you right after this, Scott. <laughs> well, we lost Scott towards the end of the conversation, but I think we got all the important information out there. If you want more information on Scott's service or being able to contact Scott, uh, look on our website, go to the show notes page. We'll have all of his Instagram, uh, Facebook. Go to our show notes page, look for his Instagram, his Facebook, his email. We'll have it all there. If you want to do a trip, contact him sooner than later. And uh, I think it'd be, I like I said, I'd never met Scott before, but I would love to go on a trip with him. I mean, the dude is seriously dedicated. Yeah, he's hardcore. He is, uh, and, he, and he does what he says on the trip we had. He is all about making sure that you have the best experience you possibly can, which, I mean, most of those guides are, right? I mean, I know Drew's the same way, and I know many of the other folks that you've been with are the, absolutely the same way. You know, they feel fortunate. They get to spend so much time with the Bears. But, you know, any of these guys, depending on how you want to do it, if you want to do a camping trip or something, then maybe Scott's the way to go. If you want to do it from a boat, then maybe Drew's the way to go. You know, I mean, whatever. There's options. Everybody clicks differently with different people. Um but yeah, if you're looking at doing a camping trip, definitely get out there. Get with Scott as soon as you can and get that booked as soon as possible. Go with the guides we're recommending because we know that these guides are in it. They're, they have just as much fun as we do. So they want to be out just as much as we do. And it just works. You know, it just, I've been with guides in the past where you say, ah, oh, can we just do a, another hour or another two hours? And they roll their eyes and you don't, you don't want those people. Right. Well, we talked about it. Scott will stay out there yeah, all day with you. Yeah. So. Exactly. Yeah. All right. Two yeah. other things. We have the precision camera thing going on, and you touched on precision camera. Mike has been totally awesome. If you guys are looking for lenses or whatever, it's hard to get anywhere, but if anybody can do anything for you, Mike's the guy or precision camera's the guy. So make sure you give those guys a call. The other thing is, if you guys are watching this on video, I'm wearing our It Depends t-shirt. You can't hardly see it around my microphone, but it's Cool. It's a fun t-shirt. And I have had a lot of people that see it and they're like, oh, I want one of those. Where can I get it? So just go to our website and you can order that straight up. I will say that I ordered this one like six weeks ago and uh, it just finally showed up a couple of days ago. So I've had a couple on order. One showed up just fine. The other one took a little bit longer and I think it just got lost in the mail on the way up to Alaska. So I don't think it's a common thing, but just be patient if something like that goes on. And if you want something as a gift or something for the holidays, do that sooner than later just because you know everything with COVID this year is going to be super crazy. So just stay on top of that. That's all I have. You got anything else to add, Jason? No, man. You make that shirt look good. <laughs> I, I want to see that design on a hat, man. We got yeah, to make, that happen, make so. that happen. We'll, we'll get that going. Maybe on a hoodie or maybe on a <laughs> yeah. sticker too. A sticker would be kind of there. cool too, right? Hoodie for yeah, sure. Hoodie would be cool. That sticker would be really cool. Yeah, I'll absolutely. do that. Next time we get a, a sticker promo going, we'll do that. All right, buddy. Good to talk to you. We'll do it next week. And um, you too. Good job on the Elk Podcast. That one was awesome. We got a windows down, driving down the four hundred five, sing along to the radio. Mm-mm. We're gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way.